0: Welcome to Ancient Answers. I'm Gordon Harris. And I'm Shane Kingsbury. And we are here to discuss how our modern lives are impacted by the wisdom of the ancients and understand how ancient civilizations dealt with many of the issues we deal with today. Yeah, so
1: today's topic, this is a pretty big one. We're going to be talking about sports. Sports, yay! (laughs) So over the course of this podcast, pardon me, over the course of this podcast, we do intend to discuss a wide variety of ancient civilizations. We want to try and get in a pretty global picture, but when it comes to sports, it's really hard to shift your focus away from the Greco Roman world.
0: Yeah, they left such a huge legacy. I mean, we have Olympics today.
1: Yeah. As an origin from the ancient days. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, and not only that, but. Uh, just the written records that they left behind, too. We just, there's so much that we know about them, and like you said, legacies that lasted thousands of years. So there's really no better place to start.
0: <laughs> well, certainly it's been part of mankind's history all over the place to engage in some sort of athletic or physically demonstrative uh, pursuits, mm-hmm. uh, competitions, we now call them sports. Uh, they came from, of course, a different origin. They, they were promoted and uh, inspired by... Different circumstances.
1: Yeah, that's right. And so it's interesting when we look at why we play sports versus why ancient peoples play sports, because some of the reasons are going to be the same, right? A big reason why we play sports nowadays is that we enjoy them. Um, they're really good athletic endeavors, they're good for competition, they help to bring out the most. Of people, and they make a lot of money. <laughs> there's, there's no denying that. Yeah, there's a that. little little modern economy there, <laughs> they, I'm sure. Yeah, they do certainly make a lot of money. Um, And obviously, when you look at ancient peoples, I'm sure they played sports for all those same reasons, but there's, in a lot of cultures, there's a militaristic and religious reasons behind them that we don't typically see nowadays anymore. The focus sort of shifted away from that.
0: Yeah, that's certainly true. The religious aspect, we're certainly aware as historians that, you know, that was a big deal, the the honor and stuff that would be passed on to those that were victorious. Mm -hmm. Uh, Although... In the modern, let's say the modern Olympics, certainly during the 20th century, we saw the great divide in the Cold War yep. between the West and the, and the East, or the, certain, the Soviet Union, the United States in particular, where there was, uh, the venues of the Olympics were seen as places to show off the best your citizens can offer. I mean, let's not forget that we did have a boycott in 1980 mm-hmm. against the uh, uh, Moscow Olympics, yep. uh, only to have another boycott come back in the 1984 with the Los Angeles Olympics. Oh. So the two countries traded off and kind of gave each other the, the sour looks
1: and I'm not showing up to your party <laughs> kind of attitude. Okay. I actually wasn't aware of that. That's right. My, my history is more ancient. It's not really modern stuff. I don't That's know that true. as well. Well, I happen
0: to live through it. Uh, I'm, Fair a, point. I'm a boomer. and <laughs> I'm a millennial. So we have, we have some... Little differences, but it is true that unfortunately politics does have a political attribute,
1: Yeah. and it can get in the way. Absolutely, yeah. And so, if we're if we're going since we're on the subject of the Olympics, that's a really good place to start. As we've mentioned already, the legacy, and everyone listening to this would know about that. Uh, but it's interesting when you look at the origins of the Olympics because Greek athletics really be, started out, like I mentioned before, it was very militaristic. It was a way of Uh, of practicing for warfare. Yeah, training, Training, exactly. And the Greeks, there's a bit of a misconception nowadays about Greek history where people think of ancient Greece as this unified culture... Um, but over the course of ancient Greece, there were actually 1,500 individual city-states that acted as sovereign sovereign nations. That's right. So that was ac- across the mainland, Magna Grecia, when they started colonizing the Aegean Sea. Every anyway. town was its own hood. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they had different leaders, They a lot of overlap, but they followed a lot of different rules, and they were constantly at war with each other. Um, so it was from this, though, that the Olympics were born, and there's a... Uh, there's an idea that pervaded ancient Greek culture, which was arete, And that was, it's loosely translated as virtue, but it's not quite accurate, because the idea is uh, excellence in whatever it is you pursue. So just to be the very, very best that you can be. Uh, and so this idea, the the best way to see who had the most arete, who had the most excellence, was through athletic competition. That makes sense to, from their point of view. Well, exactly, yeah. And the... The interesting part for me is that it wasn't enough to just know that you had won, that you had the most arete. You needed a physical symbol of that. So that was where you get the laurel wreaths for Olympic victors because Ereté would lead to teammate, which is honor and respect. That was a, a physical representation of it. So it was from, again, this really pervaded ancient culture and it was from this that the Olympics were born. It was this idea of competing against all the best. So it was a little less uh,
0: to have sponsorship and now, the, I do do not recognize the modern Olympics do, do a remarkably good job considering how big an operation they are mm-hmm. to not display sponsorship style of uh, uniforms other than the country, wear the uniform of the country you're representing. That's a good point, actually. Uh, but it is interesting to realize, of course, the enormous money that is spent in today's Olympics, mm-hmm. was that s- reflected as well in the ancient
1: Olympics? They were. They certainly were an expensive endeavor. Now, the advantage that the ancient Olympics had was that they didn't move around, so it was all done at Olympia in That's Ellis, true. Greece. Yeah. So it's not like you had to build new Olympic venues and stadiums every time. Uh, you just reuse all the same stuff over and over again. So that really helped uh, cut down costs. But it was it was paid for. Olympia was a very very rich place. It was very popular. Uh, people would send votives and uh what's tribute. Well, tribute is the word I'm donations for. yeah exactly yeah. especially from uh, from coloni from colonizing successful colonies would send money back so it was a very very rich place they had the money to put this on and they generated a lot of income by hosting the Olympics as well. There were all kinds of merchants and tradesmen and food vendors and uh, innkeepers. So, so not
0: much has changed that. <laughs>
1: not a lot has changed. It was a money making venture for sure
0: well, it's interesting, if you think about the length of time that the ancient Olympics ran, mm-hmm. I mean, the focus of this podcast
1: is to kind of give an idea. What's the scope? So the ancient Olympics began in 776 BCE.
0: Okay, 776 BC.
1: Yeah, that's okay. right. So And then they ran until 393 of the current era. So you're looking at 1,100 years or so. And what's really astonishing, I couldn't find a definitive answer about whether or not the Olympics were interrupted or not. But I did find a list of Olympic victors that we know about. And by looking at the list and seeing which Olympiad they won at, I realized that for a fa- 1,053 years, the Olympics were uninterrupted.
0: Yeah, every four years, yeah. they would have the Olympics, rain or shine, as yeah. you would say, but also <laughs> war and peace Yeah, uh, during the time the Greeks were independent. City Mm states to the time when the Romans occupied them for several centuries, to I guess towards the end of the Western Roman Empire, Mm -hmm. uh, towards the end, not quite at the end, when I guess uh, it was due to religious conflicts when Theodosius, the emperor of Rome at the time in the Western Roman Empire area, decided that. it was too pagan for him to tolerate as a Christian leader. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's, that's exactly correct. Yeah. So that, that kind of, that kind of took that way. <laughs> and what the legacy to be behind, to actually have continued, uh, every four years, like clockwork, mm-hmm. uh, during that entire, you know, convulsive time in human history, mm-hmm. and still produce that. We, unfortunately, even in the modern era, although we have only run it for about 120 years, uh, we had, unfortunately, have had two major
1: boycotts and a few other instances, but, the spirit is still there, and that—what do you think about it? That's what really counts, right? Is it's—it's—it is incredible seeing how unified the world can be at the Olympics and seeing all these different com- countries compete together. And that was—that's what I found really cool about the ancient Olympics is that it started off as this militaristic competition. But then it actually led to guaranteed peace once every four years because there, there was an amnesty that there was would
0: called. be an amnesty and a truce of some type, that's yeah, right.
1: exactly. So in order for competitors and spectators to get safe passage to Olympia, there was a truce and there was no war that would be held while the Olympics were going on. Uh, and there was actually a quote from, because back in 1956, the Olympics were nearly cancelled due to the Cold War and the then IOC president. Uh, said that in the golden age there was an olympic truce and all warfare stopped during the period of the games but now after two thousand years of civilization we stop the games and continue our wars
0: that's a profound thought oh yeah well to me the olympics have always been one of the great ideals i do enjoy watching them i'm I'm, I'm certainly engaged every Mm -hmm. four years to to follow what's going on to me uh the most uh to me the pinnacle event is one that is not as well thought out or as followed by most people today and that's the decathlon which oh, yeah. has a direct route to the ancient games of Greece mm-hmm. because the 10 events that compose that athletic achievement reflect the 10 traditional sports with the exception of horse racing mm-hmm. uh, of the ancient days that's and right. so although we can we often love the fastest man we all have the fastest woman as well and certain key sports in there and some of the team sports in reality and it's always been my opinion it's the decathlon that represents the greatest athletic achievement because you have to excel in ten sports well enough that, by a point, an aggregate point counting system, you are number one mm-hmm. or number two and number three. I think anybody who's a medal winner in the decathlon truly represents the most all-round athlete on the face of the earth that year.
1: That I couldn't agree more. Yeah, that. I, I never. I I'll, I'll be honest. I never really thought of that before, but. That's a good point, because to be able to excel on a world stage at 10 different athletic events, yeah, that's incredible.
0: That is, that is. I mean, it's one thing to focus on one particular sport and just hone your skill over and over again. Yeah. That is an achievement in its own right. Mm-hmm. But to do it with 10 and have it so that there's an aggregate score and puts you wherever the ranking is, yeah, that's something else. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, the one popular sports say are like cycling, where there's a machine involved. Uh, didn't exist in the ancient days. No. Uh, I have a particular fondness for cycling uh, races and stuff like that. But that's true. If you think of the spirit is still there today, um, and I'm looking forward. Of course, 2020 is a Olympic year.
1: Oh, that's right. Yeah. And
0: uh, we're going to have a chance to to watch the Olympics, which will be held in Tokyo uh, yeah. for the second time mm-hmm. later this summer time. Oh, that'll be exciting. But, but <laughs> the origins of the Olympics, of course, you mentioned, came from military mm-hmm. necessity. It was a way to not only just test the capability of your men, uh, it wasn't only men at the time, of course, Yes, uh, but also to give them a sense of uh, esprit de corps, you know, that they are part of a group, mm-hmm. go on and stuff like that. Uh, it's interesting to see how the, the military beginnings, because in the end, the decision to hold it in one venue, in this case, the ancient days was in the, Olymp- uh, the Olympia. Um, the cost again. Mm-hmm. Just recap a little bit how they financed because we don't think about necessarily that the ancient days had to deal with financing, but they did. Oh, absolutely, no different yeah. than us today.
1: Yeah, so it was, uh, it was, it was the city itself or the the principality that would that would pay to put on the games. So as I mentioned earlier, uh, colonization was a big part of it. So any trips that started from Olympia to colonize this area of Sicily or southern Italy or Anatolia, anywhere like that, if they were successful colonies, then they would send tribute and wealth back to the city as a thank you and an offering to the gods. And so it was a lot of that that actually went into financing the Olympic Games uh, at the beginning. And as I said as well, then there was a, a lot of income coming from the people who were there to participate.
0: Indeed. We've seen no evidence that the individual participants had to pay a fee. No. We believe that they were sponsorship. So, in fact, the the mechanism of sponsorship still exists to our day today. That's true. That's yeah. kind of a remarkable thing that the ancients set up the idea <laughs> that if you wanted to have a truly public spectacle and event, and you had to pay for it, someone, someone has to pay for it, yeah. you would exact a tribute. So, I did find out a couple of interesting facts. Okay. There was a port tax oh, yeah. for those that came into the two ports that were closest to Olympia. Apparently there was a dispute one time when another port chimed up and they would offer a discount for those that were coming in. <laughs> so you're thinking if human nature hasn't changed too much. Competitive parking. It's competitive parking. They had parking problems back then, but this time it was just for boats coming in. Who would have guessed? Um the other thing about the the, the the aspect was now Olympia had of course the facilities. Yeah. But we are aware that once the Roman occupation came in and Greece became a a, a province of the Roman Empire. Then the idea of sports came into a much different realm because, of course, the idea of sports got populated throughout, of course, culminated in the what is you know, world-known, the Colosseum mm-hmm. in Rome. Yep. And Anybody who's seen the movie Gladiator knows that, <laughs> which was a wonderful depiction of that historical reality. Yeah, you can go visit it today. I mean, it's only half there, but <laughs> it does give you an idea. It was a very large facility. That was incredible. And although the Circus Maximus is more or less a field today... You can walk this perimeter and get an idea of how big it was. That was where the horse races were principally held. Where the Colosseum yep. was, where the other different sports, but certainly the combat sports were held. Yeah. The uh, the aspect of it is talk about the economy of this one. You know, we are aware that gladiatorial fights were a big deal, but there are some misconceptions about how it was conducted because they literally ran gladiatorial fights for 400 years. There's a thought that every gladiator fight was to the death. We know that mm-hmm. that's absolutely not true. It was actually rare to have an event that went to the death because, because gladiators
1: were expensive.
0: They were athletes <laughs> they were of their day.
1: Expensive. Now, the, the views on gladiators versus modern athletes are very different because, for the most part, gladiators were slaves. Um, there were some freedmen who volunteered to go through the whole process because they had crippling debt or something like that that they needed to absolve. But for the most part, gladiators were slaves. So when you consider that you had to find the correct slave with like the right body type and the right build, now you have to purchase that individual and you have to get them to the training area and you have to train them and outfit them and feed them and house them and transport them. It was really expensive. So, But did the gladiators themselves enjoy any kind of economic benefit for participating? They would, actually. Uh, so, uh, sometimes they would gamble. Well, gambling was huge in ancient Rome. Oh, that's it true. Was a, it was astonishing. And they would they would get prizes as a result. If they did a good enough job, they would eventually earn their freedom. They'd be given a rudius, a wooden sword, and then they could go on to train other gladiators or what have you. Oh,
0: yeah, they had some prestige, that I'm understanding. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because you think about our athletes today, of course, one issue that always comes up is the enormous salaries that get offered mm-hmm. to some of the high, high-performing high athletes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we are happen to be hockey fans. We enjoy other sports as well. But
1: uh, what's the current uh, status with the highest paid uh, NHL player right yeah. now? Yeah, so Connor McDavid has signed the most lucrative deal in NHL history. But we're for this, I'll just focus on this specific season. So in the twenty nineteen twenty twenty NHL season. Uh, Mitch Marner is the highest paid player with a total salary of $16 million. Okay, $16 million. Which, and that's a lot of money. But then you consider that there are 24 NFL players who earn more than him, as well as 65 Major League Baseball players and 76 NBA players. So... Sex in NBA. 76, 76 NBA players are earning more than Mitch Marner, who is this season's highest At paid. At sixty million a year. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So I
0: can understand why the average person kind of goes, shakes their head and goes, <laughs> why are these guys worth so much money? We won't get into that today. That is a whole other <laughs> podcast. A very
1: big topic, yeah. But that pales. In comparison to some things we found out from the ancient days. Yeah, because uh, like like we said, $16 is a heck of a lot of money. And then you look at boxer Floyd Mayweather, who earned $915 million over the last 10 years. But that pales compared to Gaius Apuleius Diocles, who was a Roman charioteer, who made the equivalent of $15 billion. <laughs> In one... Well, One that, career? That that was over the course of his entire career. So he he raced chariots for twenty four years. Well, that's remarkable. Twenty four years. Yeah, in that in arena. itself is astonishing. Yeah. The average life expectancy for a charioteer was uh, age twenty two. Um, the so it might be two or three years at best as a career. Yeah, the I think it's safe to say that the life expectancy for a chariot drive sh- a charioteer. Sorry. Uh, was lower than a gladiator. With a gladiator, you had a one in nine chance of getting killed in the in the arena. Um, statistically, that's what we, we think now. Chariot's ears it was higher than that. It was it was crazy what they went through to the point the clashes were so violent that the the Latin word or what the Romans called the crashes in chariot racing is the same word they used for shipwrecks. Ah, so they saw that in terms of because <laughs> I mean
0: of all the great representations of chariot races, there is one that stands out in movie history. <laughs> Absolutely. Which one is that one? That is Ben-Hur,
1: 1959. That's right. If you ever
0: have a chance to watch it, you can go to YouTube, you can click it, say chariot race Ben-Hur.
1: The and old one, not the new one. No, yeah, the, the, the old one. one. <laughs> the old one.
0: And, I mean, that was, that was real, really done special effects. There was actually no special effects, actually. No, it was, it was, it was all so. practical. That was all practical, real, real drivers, real Uh, arena that was built to to specs to very close to what we understand the archaeological record Mm -hmm. and even little details like the the moving uh, dolphins that counted the number of rotations around the track you would do and stuff as that but we do recommend if you want to get a thrill and you've never seen it you can YouTube it and type Mm -hmm. in Ben Hur chariot race and you will get a a 13 minute thrill ride (laughs) of uh, absolutely superb uh, filming depicting What was something that kept the Romans enthralled for hundreds of years.
1: Yeah, chariot racing actually lasted longer than Gladiator Combat, too. It lasted for a longer period of time. But what's what's really crazy is when you watch Ben-Hur... Like I said, that movie came out in 1959... But you watch that chariot race scene and it still holds up. Oh yeah, it does. But it, because of safety, it wasn't nearly as dangerous or violent as what the Romans did because they would actually drift their chariots around the the metai, the turning post, right. where they'd haul in on the inside horse, like a brake, and then they'd be spurring the outside one on for more speed and it would just swing right around. And that's where most of the crashes happened. <laughs> yeah, and of course, at the time, they, were, I mean, they wanted to put on a spectacle for, Absolutely, the, yeah. for
0: the audience and uh, these gladiators are certainly, I mean, they, they get a fair bit of focus. Of course, uh, the, the movie Gladiator in 2000 with Russell Crowe, mm-hmm. I think, set a certain bar by giving as much realism as they could to the whole, what the arena was like. Yeah. And, and the aspect of it. Yeah, they glorified on what we saw as these uh, mostly occasional uh, to the death matches. But again, mm-hmm. there was economics involved. You didn't want to necessarily lose all your team. Your team players and gladiators just for the thrill of the crowd, unless you're going to get your economic return. Mm-hmm. So owners, sadly enough, they were owning human beings. They were making sure they're going to get a profit of that one. But it
1: was mm-hmm. interesting to note that when a gladiator did die, yeah, there was a, there's evidence to suggest that there was basically an insurance policy. Yeah, they, so owners if, will
0: get paid something back for the loss of their gladiator.
1: Yeah, if, if there was a situation where I mean, sometimes they died by accident during I mean, there's a fight, so you never know. Um, but if a gladiator was killed in the arena, the lanista, the individual who trained them, would get a big payout in order to recoup the cost and in order to be able to afford to train a new gladiator. That's right. Well, certainly,
0: I mean, we have the expressions uh, bread and circus, uh, yes. which we refer to the fact that uh, rather indifferent governments will just uh, keep the people entertained and throw food at them to keep them <laughs> from being hungry so they don't rise up in rebellion. Mm-hmm. But we are aware that in the historical record, the games were enormously powerful for the roman uh emperors to to maintain a relationship with the citizens. Yeah, that's
1: that's a very good point. There there are accounts of uh events in the Circus Maximus or in the uh the Colosseum where a roman emperor isn't terribly enter- <laughs> are you not entertained and I guess the answer is no. Uh, there are records where they were not interested in the games and they started doing correspondence or something and people would start booing them because they're not participating and they're supposed to be there for the people that's right
0: mm-hmm.
1: well is interesting this is part one we're going to have a few more parts about uh,
0: uh, athletes, ath- athletics ath- athletics sorry <laughs> I have to get the word around that's a great word actually <laughs> it athletics is. and also sports uh, with the next uh, episode uh, here are the ancient answers what we're looking for is dealing with the kind of issues we deal with today of course sports and athletics are something we deal with uh, on a regular basis especially with our media industry And it's interesting to reflect on both its origins, the Greco-Roman origins, but also the same same things that we deal with today. They dealt with it before. Absolutely. Uh, Because sports is definitely one of the greatest human uh, exports that we have.
1: Yep. Anyways, I'm Gordon Harris. And I'm Shane Kingsbury.
0: Thanks again for listening. We'll catch you on the next episode of... Ancient Answers. Have a great day. Bye-bye.